Hello, welcome back to Do The Franchise with me, Jake. And me, James. And we are back today with the sequel in the Jurassic Park trilogy, The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Ooh. Ooh. Something has survived, James. That was the tagline. I'm not even, I'm not even making that up. That was the actual tagline. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say a lot of stuff seemed to survive. Yeah. Uh, characters survived. Um Plot details survived. A lot of the same things happened in this film. Loads of things survived. I'm guessing the, sh- the script supervisor survived. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just this, this film has has its you know moments. Yep. It has its fans. It has people who are very critical of it. Yep. But I think it's still a good, worthwhile sequel. Yes, I think that's a nice thing to say. Definitely. Um, This film, The Lost World, came out in 1997. Um, It was given 7.5 out of 10 um, by IMDb. I will just try and find the Rotten Tomato score, which I don't know why I've not got that. That's annoying. Um, But yeah, Spielberg directed this movie after a three-year hiatus. Um, So he'd done Jurassic Park and Schindler's List and took three years off work to um, spend spend his family, he said. That that seems like a good... A good excuse. Yeah, so they did... People have cited and critiqued this film because of that fact, saying that Spielberg had been rusty, had come back from three years of not directing and directed a sequel to Jurassic Park, which just didn't live up to Jurassic Park. But I would argue that it it was hard for any film, any version of this, to live up to Jurassic Park. that fair to say? I think so. I think... um... There's definitely like criticisms. I just from watching it again recently. There's things that I've maybe levelled against it that hopefully are fair criticisms because, like you say, the guy already made the original Jurassic Park. I don't think he's going to better that. No. Um, but this carries on that same, no pun intended, but that same DNA. Yeah. It's got. It feels like a Jurassic Park. I film, agree. Whereas I think. Films made after it probably don't feel like Jurassic Park mm-hmm. films. Yeah, I think that's a testament to the cinematography and just Spielberg's overall style that he brings. Um, the cinematographer who did Jurassic uh, and Lost World was the same guy that Spielberg hired for Schindler's List who won the Academy Award. So when you think about right. the quality of films like Schindler's List, the quality of films like Amistad, which came out the same year as this, also a Spielberg film, um, and Jurassic itself, like... There's a certain, like you say, there's a certain level of quality that one assumes with the Spielberg, you know, associates with the Spielberg-related film. Do you know what I mean? Like, they don't, they're yeah. not cheap. They don't, they feel very visceral and they feel very expensive and glossy. And there's a certain, there's a certain beauty in that. That's what I always liked about this film. Yeah. Like you said, ultimately, it feels like it comes from the same world as Jurassic Park, of that same DNA. Um, we, we open with some posh British people. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, the opening... Do you know what? It's really interesting because I watched this twice in the run-up to this podcast and didn't really notice it. I've never noticed it before, actually, and I've watched it God knows how many times. The beginning of it is a dinosaur noise. You can hear like the, the noise of a dinosaur growl or grunt, and then it fades out 
of black with this horrible noise, this this building noise into the sea. You just see the ocean. And it's like they've yeah. made you go, was that an animal noise or was that the ocean making that noise? And it blurs... Yes. Do, you, do you know what I mean? It kind of like does what the first one does, where it blurs the line between, is it real or is this just my imagination thinking I can hear dinosaurs? Um, and yeah. then it pans up to the island and it's not the same island James what island is it or is it Sauna, sauna. I, I get so confused yeah that's it yeah so this is a second dinosaur island that we heard nothing about but we assume exists because Hammond spared no expense again yeah Hammond spared no expense even though this island went exactly the same way as the first island and <laughs> there wasn't even a Dennis Nedry involved <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he say that this one got hit by a hurricane? And that's why yeah. it all went tits up. You're like, well, hang on a minute. Couldn't that have just happen to Jurassic Park, the first island? Yeah. What? It, well, it's exactly what happened, isn't it? Because it only went terribly because uh, Nedry did all his stuff during a hurricane. In the well, during a storm. a storm. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have said it was quite hurricane standard, but I'm sure, like you said, like had a hurricane hit Isla Nublar... Would it not have destroyed the park? <laughs> yeah, seems like it. Yeah. It seems like these are these are really bad ideas. I, I think in the first film, Hammond even said, why didn't I build the park in Orlando or yeah. something like that? Yeah, I mean, still susceptible to hurricanes, but better infrastructure, definitely. Yeah. It's mental. Um, and in this film, we, we find out that he actually had a, a, a first sight as well, didn't he, in San Diego? Yeah, this yeah, this is again spoiler alert for this film because we are going to rip it apart, but <laughs> I wish they'd I wish that Crichton or Spielberg would have took the title and just called it Jurassic Park San Diego. That would have been a much better title for the film. Yeah. Cuz that's what it is. Yeah, The Lost World's a bit Yeah. It's a bit shit, it's, isn't it? Yeah, I mean I Lost World for me, I I I seem to always mentally attach it to was it was it Lost Kingdom or something like that with the little cartoon dinosaur? There was a Lost Kingdom, correct. There is also a film and a novel. Um, the novel was based off of the film. Uh, the, sorry, the book was. Oh, okay, I, I can't talk, James. Um, the, the novel was written by Arthur Conan Doyle, who we associate with Sherlock Holmes. Uh, he wrote the original yeah. Lost World, and then they adapted it into a film in the fifties or sixties, I think. So it has its roots in the novel of adventurers right. going to an island inhabited by prehistoric creatures. So I get the link. I just don't know whether it's a bit contrived. Yeah. You know? It's yeah, it's, it's odd, isn't it? So yeah, like you say, uh, Jurassic Park San Diego would have been a cooler yeah. a cooler title. Um we uh we arrive on the island with the posh Brit folk yep. um who are are ordering their servants around and their kids being a bit unruly. Mm-hmm. And the kid discovers some dinosaurs, Jake. She does, James. She discovers the Compies, or Compthogsagnathus. Was I saying that right? Compsognathus. That's the name of the dinosaur. Uh, the tiny little dinosaur bird-looking thing that she gives the roast yeah. beef to. Uh, and then she gets mauled by lots of them. Um, this scene is taken directly from the novel Jurassic Park, Uh not many people know that, but it is the in the beginning of Jurassic Park when they are talking about the possibility of dinosaurs getting off of the island, you know, near Costa Rica, uh, the Jurassic Park yeah. island. They there is a little girl and a family who are on a beach in Costa Rica on holiday, and a little girl stumbles upon a strange little animal, a compy, 
and she gets mauled by them and taken to a hospital in Costa Rica. So that all comes from the idea that they could have survived and got off the island. Um, one one right. thing we didn't talk about last week, which I really wanted to talk about with this episode, was the ending of Jurassic Park we know of. They get off the island and everything's happy. We got away. But we don't actually find out what happened to Isla Nublar. Um, mm. And again, this idea that there's a site B, another island with dinosaurs on. And I think even Ian Malcolm says, doesn't he? Uh, well, well, so there's another island with dinosaurs. No fences this time. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> it just kind of adds to the stupidity of the plot device of, oh, there's a second island. We can do it all again. Because in the novel, yeah. James, in the book, um, Isla Nublar is leveled by napalm. They blow it up. Oh. And they kill all the dinosaurs on Jurassic Park in the in the book. And then at the end of the film, at the end of the book, sorry, there's a report that Grant gets saying that they discovered a predator in Costa Rica that kills chickens in a local farm. Uh, and it's killed loads of chickens and things. And it's eating um, plants that are rich with the acid lysine. And that's the only nod we get of a possibility that they could have got off the island and survived in Costa Rica. Right. So it had nothing to do with this okay. island and nothing to do with the idea of something I survived. But it was always the idea at the end of Jurassic Park that they could have legitimately found a way of, of carrying on. Yeah. Which is what we get in this film. Um, and again, yeah. the invention of there being an island in which John Hammond had all of the animals grown and then moved into the park. We kind of know that's bollocks because they had hatcheries in Jurassic Park. They had lab- like laboratories, didn't they? Um, yeah, and, and Hammond said he wanted to be there at the birth of every one, so they would imprint on it. Exactly, and um, Nedry steals the embryos, which are kept in cold storage on Isla Nublar. So if Isla yeah. Nublar wasn't... He says it was just a showroom for the tourists... Like, well, that's not true, is it? Because all of the things yeah. to make the dinosaurs were in Isla Nublar in the first film. So that's wrong. Yeah. You've, just, you've just made that up. You've made the sequel up. But I feel like this justification of the second island, I know I'm being very, very, very annoyed by, by this, but I just feel it's a bit silly. It didn't need to be there. Why could they not have just gone no. back to Isla Nublar? I don't know. And let's be, let's be fair. If John Hammond was busy doing the, all those video tours... yeah. Oh, yeah, all those interactive video tours. That he's not going to have a chance to fly over to a second island no. to then imprint on all these dinosaurs to then fly back for the next tour. He's going to be exhausted. Yeah, I mean, when Hammond says to them, I own an island, I've leased it off the Costa Rican government, he doesn't say, I own a couple of islands off the Costa Rican coast. So I just <laughs> feel like the whole thing would have been... Do you know what I mean? I feel like if you were on Isla Nublar... And you were bringing people there to check whether or not it was safe to have people there. Why would you have kept the second island secret from everybody? It doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. Anyway, that's my tangent over with. I'm sorry. Carry on, James. No, no, I think that, that that's fair. And um, we, after we see the British folk, we have that amazing peak Jeff Goldblum <laughs> moment of him, the kids screaming, and it cuts to Jeff Goldblum yawning on a subway station. Yeah, on the subway in uh, San Diego, I think. Yeah, really, yeah. really and, funny. And no one, no one believes him. No, apparently, after his adventures on from the previous film, it's only been a few years, but still, no one believes that it actually happened. Yeah, and he keeps getting weird looks from people on the uh, subway train because that guy sat next to him who <laughs> recognises him. Yeah, I find that um, really campy that scene, and I really wish it had got cut. I don't like it at all. 
I just don't yeah, think I, it adds just... anything at all to the plot. And like you say, all it does is it sets up the idea that um, his reputation's in tatters because of him saying stuff about Jurassic Park. But you already get that. We get that in the next scene with uh, Peter Ludlow, where he says, um, "Yeah, you ruined my reputation a lot more, blah, 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 blah. And he says, if I recall, you went to the media spouting wild stories. And so that's already there, isn't it, in that scene? So we didn't really need it here. Yeah, it's not needed, and it's like you say, it's a bit campy. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the 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 scene you're talking about also has the line: "There are no versions of the truth." Yeah. Which you know, with all the all the concepts like fake news and yeah. things that we have in, in the modern day, that line really hits home for me. Yeah. I, I loved it. I thought there's no versions of the truth. There's there's just the truth. Um, except for the truth about Hammond, because his accent's gone completely. In the <laughs> I told you he was just making it up. I told He's you making that. it up. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? It's really funny you should say that because my wife Nat said the same thing. She says, "Hang on a minute, his accent's gone. Wasn't he Scottish in the last film?" <laughs> and I had to write it in my notes because I thought that's a great observation that I wouldn't have really have twigged. I did want to bring you back to one thing, but really quickly before I forget, and it's something I wanted to yeah. really upset you with. Um, the, the girl that gets uh, mauled by the, the compies at the beginning of Lost World is called Kathy Bowman. It's an actress, um, Camilla Ruth, uh, or Camilla Bell, sorry, Camilla Bell Ruth. Um, she's an American yeah. actress. She's been active since 1993. Um, she's 34 now, James. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> she's a really beautiful looking, really attractive, um, very successful fashion designer and uh and an and actress still still going in uh, TV shows such as uh, Walker Texas Ranger, uh, great. But thirty four years old. I just thought, you know, when you see a little girl in a film that was so many years ago, yeah, and you're like, ah, I wonder how old thirty four. Jesus, thirty four. <laughs> well, it goes to show being mauled by dinosaurs doesn't do that much bad to your career. No, it's been great for her career. Yeah, yeah. Um, she seems like a lovely woman. Oh, well, and she did really well off the back that's of being in Jurassic World, uh, Jurassic Park. Sorry, <laughs> said the bad word there. <laughs> the, the, the bad word. <laughs> um, so uh, Hammond, uh, Hammond's trying to uh, yeah. convince uh, Ian that things are, are better, and he says, "I'm not making the same mistakes this time." And he says, "No, you're making all new ones." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, I, I think. <laughs> If you can criticise this film for for lots of things, the one thing you can't... This film, I think, is more quotable than the first Definitely. One. I would definitely agree with that. I, I think, you know, the dialogue in this film, there's more quotable moments than the first yeah. one, which is great. Because uh, uh, then it's followed up by the... You went from a capitalist to a naturalist in four years. <laughs> so... I, I, I think this is, again, where the, this film's slightly better than the first one at making you... Look at John Hammond for what he really is. Yeah, yeah. Because because this 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 film really points out all of his flaws in a much crueler way, I think, than uh, the first one does. Because he not only did he lose the park, mm. he's now lost his company. Yeah, he's pretty he's much an the board of directors have voted him out. Yeah. So uh, so that there's a lot of things where you start to see how flawed of a character he is. Yeah. And that that little jab at him going from capitalist to naturalist, he's he's trying to atone for his mistakes. Yeah, he is. Yeah, and I think by... he and he also does that thing of he goes behind Ian's back and recruits Sarah Harding, his um, girlfriend, which yes is a very devious thing. For someone to go behind your back, recruit your girlfriend or partner, and then invite you to their house to tell you 
that he wants you to go because because let's be honest Hammond knows that that he's never going to go Ian's never going to go to the island yeah but making Sarah go gives him the the you know the reason to go and I just find that a really cruel manipulative thing to do and again it shows Hammond in his true light really it does because after after Ian stormed out of this scene, mm. uh, you see it, the camera sort of hangs on Hammond for a bit, and he's still being incredibly light-hearted about it all, mm. whilst knowing the danger he's put all these people in, yeah. sending them to an island that he knows is infested with dinosaurs. Mm. So uh, yeah, it's uh, I, and obviously he must know as well that his nephew is sending the effectively the military. Well, in he there. does know, but he doesn't so, tell anybody, does he? He, do, he only tells Vince no. Vaughn's character, which was again another really devious thing that Hammond could have told Malcolm. This is why we need to go now because we need to release the pictures of the dinosaurs to the public before these raiders get on the island and steal them all. So. Yeah, it was. It's clever. I thought I really liked that scene with Hammond. I must admit, I thought it was a really good yeah. scene. There was two scenes missing from this film, James, that were cut in the edit, um, which I want to talk about okay. while I've got you on the beginning of the movie. And they were cut for time because this film is over two hours, 10 minutes long, I think, which I yeah. would blame entirely on the third act, which we'll talk about in a little while. But these two scenes are are key for me in introducing two major plot points of the movie that are not paid off to the extent that I wish they would have been. So the first scene is after Kathy is injured on the beach in Costa Rica or wherever, on the island, they uh, cut to a scene in the InGen boardroom with Peter Ludlow, the nephew, and he is explaining to the board that they have got major financial worries. Uh, he then lists off the... Uh, payouts they've paid out to Donald Gennaro's family, Robert Muldoon's family, John Arnold's family, all because of these people that died in Jurassic Park. He shows all he tells about all the money they've spent um, demolishing the island yeah. and disposing of the assets and blah 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 blah. And then he starts telling the board that we've got another island full of assets that we are on the precipice of deciding what to do with it. And this week, we've had a little girl injured on that island, and her family are very happy to, to sue us. Now is the time where we either liquidate InGen or go to the island and get these dinosaurs and make something out of them. So that's basically sets up the entire plot. But again, right. it does take away from the idea that John lures the characters to the island under false pretenses. Because if you put this scene in, it changes the way the plot goes forward because that means that we know that Ludlow is going to go to the island and steal the dinosaurs. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So it does take a little yeah. bit of the mystique out of it. Yeah, it it's one of those things, isn't it? It's the... Um, I, I think for the plot it makes sense to sort of cover off what's happened to the island, yeah. you know, the previous island, what, you know, what's happened in between these films. But equally for the plot, it makes sense to have Hammond still seem like a genuinely nice bloke yeah. up until the point you realise all this stuff that he's not told uh, Malcolm and, uh, and the other parties that have gone there. You know, it's uh, yeah. It, it makes it a, a better surprise later. I think. Yeah, I agree. I, there's another scene where, again, a little bit pointless, but it's funny, uh, and it's a scene set in Kenya where a character called RJ goes to recruit Roland, the character played by the immortal Pete Postlethwaite. Um, oh yeah, and it tries to convince Postlethwaite to come on this tour of Costa Rica, and he says, "I think you'll be very interested in the quarry," uh, and he says. 
what kind of quarry could possibly interest a man like me? And then it cuts and you're like, oh, it's how they recruited him to go to the Dinosaur Island. So that was kind of fun. And I and, and a little bit yeah. of me wishes, because I love Pete Postlethwaite so much and I can't overstate, uh, he is one of my favourite actors of all time. So to, to have more Postlethwaite in this film would have been a benefit to me, I think. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think he's, he's perfectly cast in this film. Mm-hmm. And the, he, again, has some incredibly quotable lines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love, and we'll come to it later, but I love some of the names he gives the dinosaurs. Yeah, when he's in the Jeep. <laughs> yeah, because he can't read any of their actual names. So he just comes up with his own. <laughs> he goes, he says something like, the, the Pompadour, the Pompadour, Pompadour, Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> Elvis, <laughs> the one with the big horn. Oh God, I love that. Do you know what? I will actually put my. Ha- I, I'm going to put my hand up and say as well. I think this film is funnier and and in the sense of the amount of fun had, better than the first one. In that sense, I wouldn't say it's a better yeah. movie than Jurassic Park. God forbid. But I will put my no. hand up, like you said, and I say it is an incredibly watchable film. Oh it's yeah, so I, much I think- fun. I think people probably needed to come at this uh, the same way people address Alien and Aliens. Yeah. Very different films. Totally, yeah. Um, different audiences aimed at, because it, it feels like this film might be aimed at a slightly younger audience I completely well, agree in, with in that, some, yeah. I, I think merchandise was a lot... A merchandise of Jurassic Park... Sorry, The Lost World compared to Jurassic Park was a big influence because the merch was huge. The marketing campaign for this movie alone was phenomenally huge compared to Jurassic Park. The focus on the child actor in this film, there's a lot more focus on on that character than the kid actors in the previous film, I think. um, She she takes a a bigger role. And uh, (laughs) she's she's a bit of a, a brat in the beginning isn't she yeah when yeah she, when Malcolm's trying Ian's trying to get her to stay with, with somebody yeah and she says she doesn't even have Sega <laughs> <laughs> oh, what an aged reference that is um, she yeah. is great she is great her name was Vanessa Lee Chester and played the role of Kelly uh, Vanessa yeah. was born in Brooklyn she is 36 James um, and brilliant so another way of us feeling old in fact aren't you 36 Yep, she's the same age yeah, as me. Yeah, you were born in 84, weren't in a, you? In a Spielberg film. Yeah, she's been in a Spielberg film in her life and I haven't, so yeah. I can't criticise her. I can tell you another fact. She also appeared as a supporting role in the 1995 film A Little Princess, which was dif- directed by our favourite director, Alfonso Cuaron, <laughs> who did uh, Prisoner of Azkaban. Brilliant. Oh, I love I love how our franchises mix and mingle. I thought you'd like that. So, yeah, she was in the Alfonso yeah. Cuaron film, Little Princess. So, yeah, Vanessa Lee Chester, really good. Uh, Spielberg met her, I think, a year before this and really took to her uh, and basically made that role what it was for her because he really wanted her in a, in a film and he, and he really liked her. And I think that's such a wonderful... Again, Spielberg's one of those people that, uh, as my wife would say, he casts kid actors like no one else like she says why didn't oh yeah. why didn't steven spielberg cast the harry potter films and he nearly did is one of those facts because he um wow yeah he was on board to direct the first um harry potter film before 
giving it to uh, Chris Columbus. Um, he couldn't agree with what Rowling wanted, and they had a bit of a disagreement. So right. Spielberg was initially going to take on that franchise. Mad, isn't it? Yeah, crazy. So yeah, Spielberg um, cast her, and, and you get introduced to, to the Kelly character, who's a bit of a brat. You get to see Eddie and Nick, who are our... Uh, I like to call them disposable add-on characters. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, so Jurassic Park franchise and Jurassic World franchise are like those films where you could tell who's dinosaur fodder and who isn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's almost instantaneous. I, I love when we meet Kelly, though, that we are... Um, she she asks, why can't she come with Ian? You know, she, she went to Austin with him. Yeah. And he said, this is not like Austin. And then uh, then they instantly have this really random tacked-on conversation about her gymnastics, just to get that in there, yeah. ready for something that happens later in the film, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Oh, yeah, I don't think but that's going to be relevant how... at all, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> I love how quickly they get in that, you know, you got kicked from the team. Uh... Like... <laughs> I do love the introduction to all the characters. I think Sarah's introduction is pretty good as well. Yeah. Um, the the way they're on the island and they're yelling Sarah, and then one of them says Sarah, and then a surname. And Jeff Goldblum's like, how many Sarahs do you think are on this island? <laughs> it's really good. I um, Yeah, the bit when they... There's loads of weird bits in this film, which again, I don't know if they make sense having them in but they're in anyway this this is one of those films that feels slightly disjointed like you said because of these things like they have a, there's a conversation with a spaniard on the uh, a costa rican man on the ship on the way to isla sauna and he's just shouting yes. at uh, vince vaughn's character in spanish for a while and he's got his little boy with him so there's a few questions i have there which is a, you're, you've taken the money off of a naturalist slash capitalist who's famously murdered lots of people on a dinosaur island. Surely by now, I don't... Like, he's one of those people that says, I know about these islands, everyone does, there's something dangerous here. People come to the islands and then never return. You're like, why have you brought your kid with you then? <laughs> Leave yeah. your kid at home! Also, why are they going in that tiny rickety boat? If Hammond spared no expense. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think he did, James. We've already established that with our remix in the last episode. Oh God! So yeah, so they they get to the because uh, the uh, the uh, guy on the boat calls it the Island of Five Deaths, doesn't he? Yeah, Ila Murtas or uh, something. So Singer Murtas. Yeah. Uh, so they 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 obviously the locals know something isn't great. Yeah, and. Uh, and then we don't actually see them disembark from the boat. It instantly cuts to the the armored bus thing that they're, ca- yeah. that they're driving around in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the armored uh, dri- driving. Uh, so they're, they're in that. Then they start looking for Sarah. Um, the dinosaur reveal in this film isn't as impressive as in the first film. Because in the first film, you have these majestic um, sort of dinosaurs with huge long necks. Yeah, yeah. In this film, you've just got a bunch of troddling stegosaurus type things that walk in front of the camera. <laughs> Do you know what? Spielberg himself said that he had been given so much shit from fans of the first film for not putting stegos in the first film because they're listed on InGen's list of dinosaurs. Uh, as I said to you before, when Nedry's stealing the embryos, you see stegosaurus embryos. Um, they're on the list yeah. of dinosaurs in the park in one of the posters. 
but we don't see a single one in Jurassic Park anywhere. <laughs> so the first fucking dinosaur, well, I guess the second dinosaur he puts in Jurassic in Lost World is is the Stego. I like the Stegos. Yeah. Um, a really interesting fact I actually learned about Stegosaurus was only this year. Um, I think you'll love this. So the Stegosaurus. Um, sorry, no. This is. I'm going to try and rephrase this. The Tyrannosaurus Rex, who was around in the Cretaceous period, is closer yeah. related to the iPad than he is to the Stegosaurus. Okay. So to get your head around that for the audience and for yourself. The span of time for which the dinosaurs roamed the Earth, the T-Rex was at the latter end of that. It was like one of the last dinosaurs to be around in the Cretaceous period before they all got wiped out. The Stego was one of the first dinosaurs to emerge that we know of. So the distance between the T-Rex and the Stegosaurus is a greater distance than the distance between the T-Rex and the release of the first iPad. Um, wow. Okay. And while, when the T Rex was walking around the earth and eating and grazing, the Stegosaurus was already a fossil underneath its feet. That's mad, isn't it? Gosh. That's crazy. Bonkers. So, yeah, I thought you'd like that. I thought, again, educating you. I, I'm educating I, yeah. you. <laughs> I like this, Jake. This is great. It's I, like half I QI, half to the franchise. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad for calling them less impressive now, but yeah. it's just the the shot I think. Um, and then, uh, but the characters have a similar reaction yeah. uh, until Jeff Goldblum kills their bus by saying, "Yeah, that's how it all starts." And then the running and the screaming. Yeah, I I really <laughs> like the cynical Goldblum in this film. I I think I much prefer him to the Goldblum of the first film. Um, yeah, because he's a little true. bit more battle hardy, isn't he? Like he's a little bit more worn out, and I really like that the way uh, they did that character. Uh, and he criticizes Sarah for touching the dinosaur. He says she has to touch it; she can't not touch. <laughs> <laughs> I say when Sarah gives um, Malcolm a huge lecture about trying to prove the T Rex is a good parent, I'm like, I wonder if that's going to be significant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we get oh, the Stegos, okay. they attack Sarah, then they go back to the camp and they see a fire at the camp. And then Vince Vaughn says something incredibly racist. Um, do you remember this bit? When Kelly comes out of the truck um, and he says, do you see any family resemblance here? To, between? Yeah. And I'm like, is that because they don't have daughters or is that directly because she's black? I, I don't know. And I, I really got a bit miffed by that. And I'm sure people that yeah. have watched this film and are watching this film after, you know, watching, listening to the franchise, did you feel a bit miffed? Because I definitely thought it was a bit strange. It was a strange thing to say. It, it, it seemed like one of those jokes that has aged really badly. Yeah. Like, like at the time, you know, 97, was that, that joke maybe permissible? Was that joke yeah. something that people were okay That's with? What I wonder. But now you look at it and you think, in the light, especially of everything that's happened this year, that joke just yeah. just doesn't fly, does no, it? No, and I think also, uh, whether you think it's appropriate or inappropriate, that a man of Ian Malcolm, who, you know, Jeff Goldblum's a Jewish actor, could have a a black daughter, like, 
there's so many things around that where suspension of disbelief of the fact that this is a fantasy film with dinosaurs in it and people think the yeah. most bizarre thing about this film is that Ian Malcolm could have a black daughter that is really not the most bizarre thing that happens in this film and no. also I mean, they've, they've... she's just an actor like this is just an actor playing a character if you've ever been to see a fucking pantomime Peter Pan's often played by a woman <laughs> yeah it's bizarre, isn't it? And, and yeah. this, in the film, in the in the film world, if we're just keeping it within that, yeah. they've just seen living, breathing dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. like just <laughs> surely nothing else should should surprise you yeah. at that point. You've just seen a living, breathing troop of stegosauruses that have attacked yeah. you, and you've survived. I just think it shows you where a lot of people are in in, especially like you say after everything that's happened with the Black Lives Matter uh, protests this year. But the idea that mm. someone can watch a dinosaur film and go, yeah, great, dinosaurs, great, yeah, yeah, great, great, great. Black daughter, white man, impossible. <laughs> yeah, can't, can't do that. It's like, <laughs> I just don't get it. And I saw loads of debates on the internet of people because I was trying to figure out, like, honestly, and this is, this is without any um, prejudice, I was trying to figure out, was Kelly biologically Ian's daughter or was there some sort of thing I'd missed or was, was she adopted or was she a stepdaughter? You know what I mean? You don't know, but it's never really hinted upon. Yeah. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, absolutely. And if, if that, that line, if you take that line out of the yeah. film, the film then has that very positive message of this is Ian Malcolm's daughter. Yeah, deal with it. It's fine. This is just a fact. Yeah. I just hate that uh, whereas, line so much. Any family resemblance yeah. here. I was like, oh, yeah. why did you have to make that reference when you could have, you just didn't have to say anything. Anyway, yeah, we'll wash over that. Um, my, yeah. next, <laughs> my next note just says, <laughs> James, can a helicopter carry a car? <laughs> <laughs> yes yes i believe that was that was I, I think this scene is cool in that you hear the, the like the rumbling yeah. and i guess the audience is meant to think oh a dinosaur's on its way yeah but then they look out the window and it and it's the helicopters with carrying carrying a car yep. um and again you don't really see them land or anything but it then hard cuts to all those cars and vehicles driving uh, across the plains chasing a bunch of dinosaurs yeah. um and and this is where pete postlethwaite is doing his best job at naming these dinosaurs yeah he calls one <laughs> of them fryer tuck which i really enjoy <laughs> i also think that the introduction of pete postlethwaite and his monologue um it has the delivery that only an actor of the stature of pete postlethwaite could have done um yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, 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 God, I just love that man so much. Um, he, yeah. he was, he's perfect for this role. And he does the thing where he's like, well, I've been on so many safaris with rich dentists to listen to any more suicidal ideas. Is that all right? <laughs> 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 uh. He's great. Now, the, this is something where I think some people say the, the CGI in this film is what ages it more than... Yeah the CGI in the original. Yeah. And I would agree up to a point where you see this scene play out because the CGI might not look quite as realistic, but what really impresses me is the animal's emotion. Yeah. You know, the dinosaurs emote so much more. You know, you can see the pain in their eyes yeah. when they're getting taken down by these hunters. Mm. It makes you feel for them. Yeah, definitely. You know, really, and I think... It might be slightly more cartoony, I guess, but you can see the worry and the fear in their eyes, mm. and 
you know the um, uh, later that they they have they find the the baby T Rex. Yeah, that's really sad. And and they chain and they chain it to the ground. Now the noise that baby T Rex made. I don't know whether it's the same concept that you mentioned in the last episode yeah. where they took a bunch of different animals and made that noise. My cat noticed that noise. Oh really? You know, yeah. She actually reacted oh. to that noise. Yeah, it's um, uh, it's so really it really pierces through your heart that noise when it makes that yeah. noise. And it's it's so real. Like that baby T-Rex model um that they've made that Stan Winston Studios made, it emotes. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. So I think that this film sometimes unfairly criticised when you compare it to the previous one. Yeah. The previous one, you never got really all that close to uh, to the animals to see their emotions. It was just this is a vicious thing with teeth. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't. You know, a, a lot of the close-ups yeah. weren't weren't any more than this is the mouth or the teeth of the animal. I, I completely agree you know, with you. The, yeah, I completely agree. And I think, like you said, Jurassic Park starts out as a science teacher's movie and then it moves into through its second and third act a monster movie this one starts out like a david attenborough documentary and then kind of progresses into an action movie doesn't it throughout the film yes but like you said the bit where they're chasing down the dinosaurs and then i think one of them gets pulled by its feet and dragged to the floor it makes your heart wrench you're like that is awful and they're doing these yeah. these beautiful giant animals that are all quite happy. They'd never even had human interaction before. And the first day they've got humans on the bloody island, they're all being ripped apart, torn down to the floor, chased and scared. And again, it comes back to the thing I said in the last episode, which was this is another a great metaphor for the times we live in, where we need to be better as a species at living with animals and not dominating animals. Because yeah. we dom- we've seen the thing in the news this week about the minks in Denmark and yeah. I don't want to go on about it too much because again it's one of those things if you've seen it you'll know what I mean and if you haven't seen it by god go and have a look but they've slaughtered like 65,000 minks in Denmark because um, they have them for the fur trade and now because of the coronavirus they um, feel that they've, they're worried about an infection going from mink that we've given the minks that they've now it's now um, evolved or every what's it what's it called the, the new strain of the virus yeah and it's being passed from mink back to human so they've had to kill them all and you're like it's awful isn't it yeah it's really awful you think about people that keep rabbits and pet rats and things it's like it's just a small mammal and you just killed them all for no reason other than they're infected and we can't use their fur anymore it's like oh god yeah. And I just think it's such a weird and horrible world. To say we still live in, we're living in 2020, and like you said, these messages about animal cruelty go back, I mean, in this film they go back 20-odd years. In, in society in large, they go back 40, 50, 60 years, and we're still doing it. We, we yeah. don't learn anything. It's, 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 it's bonkers, isn't it? I think the... Uh, the, 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 and the message in the film is, is carried out, isn't it, by that token uh, sort of scientist that the uh, hunters have with them. Yeah. They have like a, a really nerdy, ver- yeah, a really nerdy version of Alan Grant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who uh, who you know says why you know why would because there's that, that guy's got a very tiny dinosaur in front of him. Yeah. He says why why would he be scared of you? He's not met humans before. And then the guy just electrocutes the yeah. dinosaur. He's like he's scared now. And you think. Oh, 
you jerk. Yeah, what a <laughs> you dick. absolute jerk. Yeah. Yeah, so we see the baby Rex, and um, it's for me, it's the bit where Pete Postlethwaite's character slips down in my estimation a bit. He uh, chains it up to the floor and breaks its leg, doesn't he? So it can't move. Yeah. And then he waits for the mama T-Rex. or No, it's the daddy T-Rex he's after, apparently, for some reason. And they're yeah. waiting for that to come and, and save it. I mean, in all honesty, those T-Rexes take their fucking time, don't they? <laughs> they really do. They really do. But when you first... Because they, they're up in the high hide, yeah. aren't they? They uh, And they hear a T-Rex <laughs> roar. And obviously, uh, Ian Malcolm knows what that roar is. Yeah. Uh, and he, he has to, to go and, and warn them about the uh, the T-Rex roar. And I think it's the... Obviously, they've been hinting at it. Obviously, there needs to be two T-Rexes for a baby Rex to exist. Yes. But when you finally see the two T-Rexes, it's it's brilliant. I agree. I totally I, agree. I've got all that written in my notes as well. Like, the idea that, like you said, they, they need to build tension again. But the monster, i.e. the Tyrannosaurus, we've already seen it in the first one. We've seen a lot of it. We know exactly what it does. Um, how do you reintroduce that big bad and make the tension equal to the tension of the first film? And I think Stephen did it perfectly in this. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. With it, sk- yeah, with it mean- roaring over the trees and then um, him ringing the trailer and the trailer phone ringing and then he has to run to the trailer and he says to Sarah, doesn't he, like, for once in your life would it have killed you to let them pick it off? Um, yeah. And then the T-Rex throws the Jeep off the off the cliff. So good. Yeah. And I think the the scene plays out almost exactly the same as the scene in the first film, mm-hmm. doesn't it, where eventually he, knock, he knocks the vehicle over the cliff. Yeah. The the thing that gets gets me and I still love it is when Sarah hits the glass. Yes. And the glass starts cracking yep. underneath her underneath her hands. And that carries on building that tension again, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It's Yeah, it's masterful. It's a masterclass it, of tension building. Yeah. Because you've gone from the Rexes and, and, to Sarah in Jeopardy on glass. It's got nothing to do with the T Rexes. But it's that idea that yeah. she's trying to lean over to the side and as she's leaning you can see the glass cracking underneath her. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful filmmaking. <laughs> it really is. So this is what I mean. When when Spielberg gets you know criticised for being a bit you know off his best with this film, or you know, I think yeah. uh, there are things in this film yeah. that are as good and sometimes a little bit better than the first. Totally agree. But the film as a as a whole doesn't hold together mm-hmm. in the same way that the first film did. Uh, and I, I've got some ideas for, at the end for why that might be, um, but yeah, it, it's scenes like that uh, just make this film worthwhile, in my opinion. And like you say, it's a more generally a more light-hearted, fun film. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I I really like I really liked the the T Rex double act in this yeah it was really good because I watched it with Nat and she said when the T-Rex obviously comes down the back of the trailer because you don't see you see it from behind the characters don't you its head comes down into frame through the back window which is terrifying in itself but then the other one comes to the side of the trailer and then my wife was like oh my god is there two of them in this film and I was like oh yeah you don't realise that until that point it makes the film it almost is like double your money isn't it it's like two for the price of one yeah like what's scarier than having a T-Rex in the Jurassic Park sequel put two in and a baby one 
Uh, and it just adds yeah. to that that level of jeopardy. And I think we'll talk about it in a bit, but that comes a, a more across, I think, later in the film as well. Um, then the trailer goes over the cliff. Yeah, when Sarah goes through the glass, uh, all of that is terrifying. The trailer thing is a bit ridiculous. I mean, if a T-Rex had pushed the trailer off the cliff, it would have just gone off the cliff. The idea that yeah. the idea that we have this, again, purely for tension, Eddie trying to bring the trailer back onto the cliff by reversing his, his Jeep and, and trying desperately to pull it back up. I mean, that, that trailer is never coming back up. Um, no. I guess all Eddie is doing, really, is holding it still, isn't he? Stopping it from going over yeah. whilst the other characters climb up we have that shot of you know looking at the front of the car as it as he's reversing it the car sliding left to right yeah. and it keeps showing us that shot and then cutting back to the trailer then cutting back to the front of the car cutting back to the trailer and then we go back to the front of the car again and we see the t-rexes coming back yeah yeah and i think that that is so, it, it's it's such a shock because you're so used to you, know, you at that stage you think right the t-rex bit's done yeah and they're just gone. trying to rescue them from... The, they've gone, and then they come back because they've obviously heard the car revving around. Mm. And I, I think that is, that again, really, really clever to, to bring that fear aspect back yeah. uh, really, really quickly. Uh, it's, it's, it's very well done. Very well done. Uh, and after all this has happened, the T-Rexes have gone for a second time. The, uh, the people that are dangling on the rope after the... Um, after the trucks have fallen down, yeah. uh, are then pulled up by Pete Postlethwaite and all of his group. Yeah, so after the um, trailer goes over the cliff and the rescue, they get rescued, Pete Postlethwaite's crew show up and they rescue Sarah uh, and the gang. And then we have all of the, the blame game, don't we, James? Yeah, it's like, you, you did this, you made them explore a new territory even though we weren't even sure if t-rexes did explore territory we're now absolutely certain that they expand their territory because we've seen it in these two t-rexes so that must mean all t-rexes do it dr alan grant sorry not alan grant he uh, not not alan grant not alan grant school sarah on um off factory cavities of (laughs) (laughs) t-rexes which which then totally destroys the whole don't move and they won't see you yeah, uh, I agree. It's stupid, isn't it? Because surely that if they can smell you, but they can't see you, they just walk around going, there's definitely something here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> like, what does that even look like? I imagine it looks like what I look like when I go down for a drink late at night and I don't want to turn the lights on. <laughs> yeah, and then you open the fridge and get blinded. <laughs> There's, then there's a bit, um, there's two bits here that are kind of strange. There's a bit where um, um, one of the, 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 what's his name now? I'm going to call him Hammond Jr. Uh, Hammond's mm. nephew says, um, that's not the problem. And they go, what is the problem? And he goes, velociraptors. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is my favourite line in the whole film. Um, just he might as well just look direct into the camera and wink at the audience. I agree, yeah. It did feel like that. Like he was just making an effort to go, don't worry kids, they're in this film somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then we get the blood-soaked jacket of Sarah, which, again, we had the conversation about Sarah being really clever. Um, hmm. Not Alan Grant also explained to her that they have the best sense of smell of any um, any animal. Um, and then Sarah acknowledges that she has baby blood on her jacket and says, oh, it just won't dry because it's humid. And you go, take it off! <laughs> yeah, take it off. It's so humid, you need your jacket, apparently. You don't need the jacket, it's warm. Exactly. Do you know what, as well? 
I just realised when we were talking about this earlier, there's a bit in this film where Jeff Goldblum says to Sarah, uh, to Julian Moore, he says, oh yeah, that's a great idea. While you're out there, why don't you smear yourself in some sheep's blood? And you go, just what she does. Yeah, exactly what she does. Exactly what <laughs> she, she does. She just, she's a walking smell target, isn't she? For, not just for tyrannosauruses, but like anything. Couldn't anything smell the blood and maybe come after her? She's on Dinosaur Island, James. Exactly. I mean, the, you'd think, I don't want to f- smell like some sort of victim because I will become yeah. a victim. And and Peak Goldblum, he, yeah. he realises this. It's crazy, yeah. isn't it? There is some kind of cool bits here. We I'm trying to remember the way through it because I've got my notes are a little bit scrappy around here, but I know that um, they they wander around the jungle for a bit with Pete Postlethwaite as a leader. Yeah. Um, then the bad guy uh, who 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 zapped the compi, uh, whose name I can't remember. He's played by Peter Stormer, who's a great actor. who's in Prison Break. Yeah. He uh, he gets eaten by the compies and disappears. He does, and, and the, that's such a good scene as well. Where they, they, they initially they don't seem like such a threat, and then he yeah. falls over that log, and they jump behind him, and the camera just slowly pans down to the riverbed, and you see the blood running through the river. You yeah, think that's a really, I mean, it's a classy way to show someone who really deserved it die. It's a good Spielberg moment. I remember we watched it, we were say, with Natalie, my missus, and, and she said, she remember when the, the blood comes in the river, she's like, aha, look at that, that's great. <laughs> like, it is one of those things where even as someone that's watched millions of, you know, thousands and thousands of films, when there's a little moment like that, I always get a little bit like, haha, that's great, that's so cool, that's so clever. Yeah. Um, there's like, yeah, it's and then there's a lot of this now where they're in the jungle, but not a lot happens. And I know that, and I, I know the compy bit happens, but... Like there's a there's a jeopardy of the fact that they're stuck on the island, but then they're looking for the um the they're looking for the communications tower, which is in the InGen building, yeah. which is right right in the center of the island, obviously surrounded by Velociraptors, according to um John Hammond and Hammond Jr. So the crew go straight for they go to they want to get to the middle of the island. It's surrounded by raptors. Obviously, it's got to be surrounded by raptors because we need jeopardy, James. Absolutely, and nothing says Jeopardy like a raptor running towards you wanting to give you a hug. <laughs> I do think the bit in the, um, you know, when they're in the grass is probably one of the best bits in the whole film. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, the the over-the-top sort of scene where you see the just the grass parting, you don't actually see the raptors just yet, but you see the, yeah. the actual grass is laying down as the raptors are sneaking through. It's oh, it's perfect cinema. I love but, it. Oh, what we did miss, uh, I missed rather, um, my probably my, my actual favourite bit, which would be, because obviously not a lot of dino stuff happens for about half an hour to our 20 minutes, and then you get the scene where the T-Rex comes for the blood-soaked jacket, which we've been talking about. And yes, sticks his big head into the tent, which I thought was really cool. It it's also brilliant. makes it also makes them more for me. It makes them more animal-like and less monster-like because there's something like that. T Rex is just curious about that jacket, just like you yeah. go to a farm and animals like try and tug on your scarf or on your jacket or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, or when you see a wolf coming up to the glass at a zoo and he's just like licking the glass trying to get to you to see what you are. Yeah, I always think it's that a that Jurassic petting zoo. <laughs> yeah, but it makes them more. I don't know. I guess more real in my in my eyes. Yeah. you know. Yeah, I think it's 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 a good moment because the all the films uh, ask you to care about the dinosaurs, even though they're scary. You yeah. want to care for them. You want to care about them. Um, 
and they they sort of point out the human flaws in trying to control life and things like that. But the dinosaurs yeah. are effectively innocent victims of all of this because they didn't ask to be resurrected. They didn't ask yeah. to be in this in this world. So yeah, every every time you see something like that, I think it pulls at your heartstrings a little bit because you think that is just an animal. That is just a creature yeah. trying to be a creature. It's not a monster. It's not um, it's not like the alien in Aliens. It's it's different. Yeah, I, I agree, and I do. I, I love the um, I love the animatronic T Rex head going into the tent, and um, and then you get the chase bit with the hunters and Pete Postlethwaite trying to shoot the T Rex. Was all they're all great bits. He's taking the bullets out of his gun, which I thought was really clever. And they, yeah. all those bits kind of add up nicely. I feel that once we get to the Raptors and we get to the um, communications tower, it kind of peaks there for me. Do you agree? Absolutely, it is. It is very much like two films in one. This the 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 raptor scene. It keeps that drama, keeps the uh, everything going up. The even when they get to the communications tower and you have the silly gymnastics killed the dinosaur moment. <laughs> yeah. It, at, at that point, you start to think, "Hang about, what is this film I'm watching?" Um, but they still they still sort of maintain this whole this is a Jurassic Park film, honest, because uh, they have yeah. a, a helicopter escape again, like they did in the first one. Except this one uh, is in the dark at night. It's everyone's absolutely visibly shattered by what they've just experienced. Whereas the original one was more sort of peaceful and serene as they left the the park. They realised that yeah. the dream was over, as it were. And, but they th- at least they had survived. Here they're just sort of scared and terrified of everything. I mean, I'll blow blow your mind a little bit. So the Lost World novel is completely different to this. It doesn't end like this film at all. It's completely different. One one thing I did read whilst doing research for this episode was that the script, uh, original, the ending for the Lost World, was going to be more similar to the novel in that um, the hunters get chased off the island, off the edge of a cliff by um, pterosaurs, you know, pterodactyls. And mm. the pterodactyls then start picking off all the men who are like paragliding. They all have like paragliders, and they all escape off the island on paragliders. But they all get picked off by the raptors. Uh, sorry, by the uh, by the uh, pterodactyls. And then we get a sequence with um, uh, with yeah with the with the good guys getting away. And there was going to be a sequence on top of this um, that helps lead Pete Postlethwaite's fate down the road, where Pete Postlethwaite has taken the T Rex out. Um, with his gun, tranked it. They then put it on a boat, and you get to mm. see the boat leaving the island because our heroes get away and it's all happy ending. But then it cuts back to the island and the T Rex getting loaded onto the boat. And as the boat's leaving the island, the T Rex wakes up, and that was going to be the end of the film. And the right. idea that it's it's woken up on the boat and it's going to the mainland would then kickstart Jurassic Park three, as it were. That was going to be the idea for it. That was Spielberg's idea. Uh, it got completely rechanged, rewritten because uh, Spielberg insisted on this San Diego bit, which I think right. largely because he didn't, he kind of knew he wasn't going to do the third one. Does that make sense? So I think he kind yeah. of he'd written off doing a third one. But figured out, well, I'll just end it the way I want to end it then. I'll end it with the T-Rex getting to the mainland and wreaking havoc like Godzilla or King Kong. So I think a lot of that comes from Spielberg and David Kep, the screenwriter. But I feel yeah. like that add-on of that extra 25 minutes, 20 minutes in San Diego, it ruined the film. Yeah, I, I would agree. It's, it, 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 I think the last scene, the last 
that act of the film makes the film a harder sell to someone. You, I think if it did end the way you've described the novel ending, yeah, I think it would be up there in the same uh, sort of reign as the first film in terms yeah. of people's uh, support of it. But I think the fact that they went down that kind of schlocky, kind of, like you say, a Godzilla, King Kong, monster-esque ending yeah. kind of ruins it. it. It sort of makes it not feel like it's part of the same franchise it feels rushed as well i mean if you remember king kong's a great example where king kong even the original and and the remakes they all start out in new york then they go to the island then they have a journey back from the island with the with the ape and then you see the ape in new york and the ape gets out and that's like and that that is kind of in its way its own three-act structure you've got jungle boat new york and then it ends all of them are yeah. the same. They all follow the same the same pattern. But what I feel here is you had 80% of a movie on an island full of dinosaurs and then 20% of the movie running around San Diego. It just seemed completely bolted on and forced. It, it really does. And the fact that you know there, there was a, an original, what they're calling the original Jurassic Park idea, which was this amphitheatre, yeah. um, it makes you realise that John Hammond can't be that successful as a business person. Because <laughs> yeah. every, every park he's created has failed in some way. Um, but the, the, the ending, like you say, it's tacked on. It feels a little tacky. Uh, there are some great moments in it, though. Like, uh, there's a shot with a T-Rex trying to catch up with a bus, or rather a bus <laughs> trying to outrun a T-Rex, which... <laughs> yeah. Just, I, I love, I love those shots just for how hilarious they are. But those those yeah. moments of hilarity just don't gel with the fear you're meant to have had from being on the island. Uh, yeah. Like the T Rex becomes a joke when it enters, you know, civilization, and yeah. I don't know how how fair that is to a very scary, albeit understandably confused creature. Yeah, how, how you know it takes away some of the uh i guess the the fear that's been built up on the island T, you know the t-rexes were scary and now t-rexes are funny yeah and I, I agree don't... i think that is the biggest problem i've got with it yeah i think you're right i think what you do there is you've removed the jeopardy from the whole thing and then there's like there's there's, there's loads of comedy moments like the, the the t-rex drinking out the swimming pool eating the dog um and then like you say uh, eating a traffic light chasing a bus it starts to get it's yeah it's like I, my missus actually my wife described it as it's like they sat down at the end and everyone in the boardroom at Spielberg shouted an idea out and he was like yep I'll have that yep we'll put that yeah. in yep put that in and it's like no Stephen we need to have discipline this is not a good sequence one bit that is quite funny is the man that runs into the store and gets eaten by the Tyrannosaurus was uh, David Kep the screenwriter so he got eaten in his own screenplay by a T-Rex which I thought it's kind of irony bound <laughs> yeah it, it's sort of fitting that isn't it it's like if you're going to make such a silly, silly ending you, you deserve to get eaten by your own T-Rex I think don't you think that just sums it up, though? Like, even the screenwriter wrote in a bit where he got eaten because they just ran out of ideas with this film. I think as well, when you, we set up, like, this Pete Postlethwaite character, who I thought, again, I love Pete Postlethwaite. You've got uh, Nick Van Owen, um, the, the, um, the the photographer character played by Vince Vaughn, and, yeah. and the daughter, uh, Kelly. All these characters get very little payoff and they all disappear in the third act. So none of them yeah. are in the third act. The only three characters in the third act are Malcolm, Sarah, and um, and not, not John Hammond Jr. 
Yeah. They're, it's they're, odd, they're, isn't they're, it? It's almost like, and the way Pete Postlethwaite exits the film, he sort of just walks off into the distance. It's like, yep, the good bit yeah. of the film's over now. I'm off. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> it is. It's like Pete Postlethwaite's gone, I don't think I can do any more of this film. See ya. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's like all the other actors seem to... I wonder if... like we, we see it more and more, I think, because the internet's more prevalent and we, we're aware of stuff going on, but we see loads of films go through massive reshoots and things like yeah, that. I don't course, know whether yeah. this was a reshoot, but obviously in reshoots you tend to find some actors just can't come back or you have to see Jerry yeah. Mustache. Uh, so, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's just there's just this element of this third act of this film that it feels so tacked on that it could have just been yeah. a reshoot or a, you know, it's like a, a second or third unit got involved to do this bit and they didn't have access to all the same actors or even the same budget. It just seems like they've done a funny... Uh, DreamWorks-esque ending to a yeah. Jurassic Park film. I just think as well, I was thinking back to some of the sequences we talked about, like the T-Rex in the 10, the footprint when the T-Rex is coming is always terrifying, isn't it? And like the tension building Spielberg's done with that in the first one and in this one, he returns to the whole footprint and the puddle. Um, yeah. You get the raptors in the grass, then the raptors trying to get through the car window and, and digging Sarah and the daughter out of the, out of the hut. Like, all these things are very clever unique to spielberg things that that set jeopardy they set up the drama and the tension in the sequence they yeah. add so much flavor and, and so much i don't know just so cool they're such cool sequences like the raptors in the kitchen in the first one but yeah. to then to then throw all that away for essentially a goofy third act is it just really upsets me when films do this. And it's not the only film that's done this. We're probably going to talk about thousands of films on this podcast that suffer. They fall into the same trap. And I think, mm. as well, sequels do this a lot. Sequels often fall into a trap of trying to give the audience too much of what they think they want and not enough story. Yeah, I, I think so. And that this It's so frustrating, though, with this film because you see them do a particular thing very successfully. Mm. And... And then, all of a sudden, they try and do the same thing, and it just it just lands like a really bad joke. So the example of this would be in the Raptor section uh, in the communications tower. There's a scene yeah. where Malcolm runs into a building and and slams the door behind him, and then a Raptor yeah. just jumps through the window because <laughs> it sees yeah, a window, like and the Raptor just jumps through the window and ends up in the same room. That is still, I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's still got that sense of jeopardy, that sense of fear. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But then later on, they do basically the same gag where they're at the docks and the T-Rex is chasing them, but they've got the baby Rex with them and right. they get out of the car in this warehouse and one of them says to the other, is the T-Rex, you know, is the mum still following us? And then all of a sudden the mum just bursts through the other side of the warehouse. Same yeah. gag, basically, because it's, dinosaur bursts into room but the first yeah. one's just that much more successful the second one you can feel that beat coming you can feel that timing happening in front of you because you've already seen yeah. it and it, it loses that impact because it's just the same gag over again i think yeah i will correct you as well it is the daddy t-rex james for all the Sorry, listeners who will, who will pick you up on that because uh pete postlethwaite only wanted to shoot the father 
But how does he know it's the father? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> um, it doesn't. I, so, mean, I think I think that sums up the third act of the film. It's like anyway, it doesn't matter yeah. <laughs> because the T Rex goes back to, into yeah. the boat. <laughs> we need to suspend disbelief in this film massively. There's a bit in that where they're, they're trying to get the T Rex back on the boat, where the Department of Animal Control shows up, and it's just a really small van, and he just gets chased away <laughs> by the T Rex. Jay really thought it was, again, it's goofy, but it's funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The T-Rex gets put on the boat just in time for... Um, it's about to be shot, isn't it, by somebody, and then they, they stun it. Uh, Ludlow, um, I've remembered his name, Peter Ludlow, Hammond Jr., gets eaten yeah. by baby T-Rex. There's a bit of payback yeah. there. And, uh, Under the yeah, encouragement of its it. mom, uh, of its dad, rather, the, the daddy yeah. T-Rex is like, go on, eat him, go on. I know, I like, there's this whole bit. moment where the, the baby Rex keeps looking back, checking to see if it's okay to eat the <laughs> the humans like he's okay yeah. it's okay yeah it's, yeah, it's fine you know, go eat yeah them. do you know what on that thought as well i'd even go as far as to say the bit where the boat's coming into the dock and they all know it's not slowing down that's a good spielberg moment that reminded me yes. of close encounters a bit i had something very close encounters-esque about it but it's just that that sequence that like you say i think it's just the t-rex the kid the mum and dad the dog the pool the, the street, the traffic light, all of that was just too much. I think it was way too silly for this film. And this yeah. film needed, it needed to end bigger than Jurassic Park. It needed to beat Jurassic Park because it was going to, you know, it's hard to beat a film like Jurassic Park anyway. It of always course. was going to be. And I felt like he went for the most silly option. Whereas really, yeah. I mean, do you remember, we'll probably talk about it in some episodes in the future, but do you remember how... Um, when Lucas went and did the prequel Star Wars films, he did the first yeah. one. Everyone was like, "This film's too goofy." Then he did the second one, and everyone was like, "This film's boring. It's far too serious." <laughs> <laughs> so when he did Episode Three, he just put five lightsaber battles in it. <laughs> yeah, and you're so like, "Well, that's what at people least want." Yeah, at least he's kind of going. You know what? You want lightsabers? Here's five battles. Do you want battles? There's five battle sequences do you want some action well there's another action sequence there for you and it's kind of like in a way you have to respect that of an artist of of a movie maker but yeah i don't know this one's a bit strange then they end with the um they get the t-rex back on the bow and then we cut to a scene i've written something again really funny in my notes which says richard hammond shows up at the end of the film which i think was amazing Richard Hammond does not show up. It's John Hammond. I just keep calling him Richard Hammond because his first name's Richard and his surname's Attenborough. Oh, I'm never so, yeah, going to so get that. Richard Hammond and James May turn up, and uh, I, I think, I think Jake on the boat. recorded over his Jurassic Park Lost World <laughs> video with some sort of Top yeah, Gear. Yeah, been watching Top Gear. I've just been watching Top Gear on iPlayer, and I've been watching it on Dave. Um, <laughs> So yeah, and then and then yeah, John Hammond says these creatures require absence to survive, not our help. We need to leave them alone, step aside, trust in nature, and let it be. And you're like, that is like the most poignant thing that anyone could say about this franchise. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's so so true. And I think when you you reach the end of the film, you've got that slightly aged uh, shot where there's loads of CGI dinosaurs and it, it looks a bit older yeah, because they're does. all CGI. Um, yeah. But you, you, the credits start rolling. And I think I was left with this feeling. Uh, sometimes when people are saying, like, M. Night Shyamalan's going to be the next Spielberg or so and so is going to be the next Spielberg. And what they mean is that this person's really good at creating cinematic shots. 
But what they miss out on is the real Spielberg magic of the tissue that interconnects all those shots. Yeah, 100%. Spielberg's fallen into that trap with this film, especially in the third act, where it's missing the interconnective tissue. It's yeah. it, that extra Spielberg magic. It seems to be missing that. It's got all the cinematic shots, the raptors, the uh, yeah. two T-Rexes. The, it's got those elements that are Spielberg, but it's missing the meat. I agree. No pun I intended. Think, no, you're, you're, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Like it's, it's got, on paper, everything that a Jurassic Park sequel should have and more and yet still manages to fall just below expectations of what we thought he could get out of a Jurassic Park film. And I said to you, like when they did the first, the first one, the audiences, a lot of the, a lot of the audience said, uh, critics said, uh, not enough dinosaurs, too much story. And mm. then when this one came out, it was the polar opposite. Too many dinosaurs, no story. And yeah. it's so sad to fall into that trap. And again, I'm looking forward to doing the third one because I haven't watched the third one probably for about 10 or 15 years, if I'm honest. It's been a hell of a long time since I've seen it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to be watching it with a fresh pair of eyes for the podcast. But yeah, um, I just think it's one of those. And I, I felt the same when I went to see Jurassic World and Jurassic World 2, which we'll probably talk about another day, another year. But yeah. I felt like there was a, a whole, like you said, it was it was an inability to get the meat of the story. All you had was a lot of ideas playing off each other in a film. And ideas yeah. don't necessarily make a good story. True. Very true. Are you ready for some facts, James? Yeah, let's have some facts. Uh, we'll put the jingle in here. That was the jingle for five facts. <laughs> um, people always laugh. I always laugh at that because obviously when we record this, I can hear nothing. Um, <clears throat> number one, James. Julianne Moore admitted that she did this movie purely for the money to pay off a divorce settlement and to work with Steven Spielberg. <laughs> I love that those are the priorities in that Isn't order. That great? Because I was saying... She's at the height of her fame here in the in the late nineties. Like she'd been in Big Lebowski and and she'd been in so many little films and she's just such a great talent anyway. But they asked Julianne more about this and she just said, "Yeah, purely did it for the money. Knew it was going to be big. Uh, I needed to pay off my divorce settlement and uh, I wanted to work with Spielberg. So that was always a plus. And it's just like the most honest answer you could get. You're like, why did you open the Krusty Krab too? Money. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Samuel L. Jackson school of taking jobs. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like, great. How, how big's the paycheck? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be a, a an American president that goes through some Norwegian woods killing folk. I can do that. <laughs> right, hang on. Let me just get my notes up for this one again. Um, I have the second one. There are roughly fifty percent more dinosaurs in this movie than Jurassic Park, and the reason I wanted to the reason I wanted to tell you that fact is because I just thought as soon as I read it about those big packs of Yorkshire tea that say fifty percent extra free on them. Do you remember? <laughs> so you've got you've got this extra island with a big red label on the corner of it. Yeah, so I just thought this film should have come out with a big poster that just said 50% more dinosaurs. <laughs> it would have been such a good poster. If anything, I'm going to make that poster now. I'm going to go on Photoshop and make 50% more dinosaurs. Or if we can do it together, I will send you something. We'll make that poster and put it on the on the Instagram. Because I really want to see that poster. Um, that was number two. Number three, uh, Jurassic Park was added to the title 
to avoid confusion with the Arthur Conan Doyle novel, The Lost World. So uh, it was kind of because Crichton just called it Michael Crichton, The Lost World, uh, same yeah. as Michael Crichton, Jurassic Park. But they, when they were marketing the film, I think executives were like, the logo's great. Do, does everybody know this has nothing to do with the Arthur Conan Doyle book? So they just added Jurassic Park underneath. And if you watch it in certain countries, or on like American cable TV as I have before, I think it literally comes through as Jurassic Park 2, The Lost World. So oh, okay. it's kind of changed over the years, but like the official yeah. title is The Lost World hyphen Jurassic Park. Right. Just to avoid that confusion. That's literally all it is. But uh, yeah, it's like... audiences be stupid. Yeah, have you remember that we were talking about our favorite franchise, Fast and Furious? They they called um, they did a spin-off called Hobbs and Shaw, and it's not just called Hobbs and Shaw; it's called Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> just in case you're not clear that it's the same people from that that same franchise. <sighs> I love uh, it. Question: uh, Sorry, fact number four. Uh, that's me going quiz mode there. Fact four. <laughs> Uh, Jeff Goldblum revealed on Top Gear, so there is a link to Top Gear, ah, that, excellent. He, that he actually kept one of the Mercedes Jeeps from um, the Lost World production. So one of the um, camouflage Jeeps that went over the cliff. Uh, Jeff Goldblum ah. owns one of them, uh, has done for many years since the film came out, and drives it around in America. <laughs> That's brilliant. Peak Goldblum at his best. Yeah, it's wonderful. It is, it's so good. This last fact, I think, is going to really make you annoyed. Um, again, these aren't as meaty as my usual facts, but nonetheless, they are they are facts. Uh, number five, Gary Oldman was offered the role of Peter Ludlow, a.k.a. Hammond Jr., um, but turned it down oh. due to scheduling conflicts. He was then later recast, and he was replaced by Arliss Howard, who plays Ludlow in the film. Arliss Howard, um, I think he's like a Swedish or Danish actor. I remember yeah. reading. But uh, yeah, that's mad, isn't it? So the bad that guy is... in this could have been Gary Oldman, and it may have been a different film if it were. Oh, that would have been interesting. That would have given it a real sort of Air Force One link. Yeah, and I also think having Lord Attenborough as as John Hammond, and then having someone at the stature of Gary Oldman as his nephew, I think... Yeah. I don't know, there's just something I love about that, don't you? It's like when you watch the Batman films and you see the likes of Liam Neeson, Christian Bale, uh, Michael Caine and Gary Oldman all on the same on the same shoot together, all in the yeah. same sequence. You're like, they're like four of the greatest actors of their generation, they're all on screen at the same time. Uh, Morgan Freeman as well in, in that... And I love seeing that in films, but uh, yeah. It would have been awesome to see him and Pete Postlethwaite as well. Yeah, I know, right? Gary Oldman and Pete Postlethwaite, two of my favourite actors on screen together. That would have been amazing. What we could have had. What we could have had, James. I mean, it Uh, wouldn't have made up for the third act. Let's be fair. I mean, it would have been (laughs) awesome, but it still wouldn't have made up for T-Rex in San Diego. So, I don't have any shit merch, do you? No, no. I I think the third act in itself will be the shit merch. Like I agree. You, you, we we could almost cut that off, and it'd be a really great film. Um. So yes, thank you for coming, guys. As always, uh, please do follow the podcast. We need the support and share it with your friends and family. We will be doing a Christmas special, and we'll probably be doing that after we've done the Jurassic Park three. James, probably we'll do that. Yeah. I think that's the the next one. Yeah, make sure we've completed the trilogy. I mean, we wouldn't want to miss out on the the excellence that is Jurassic Park 3. 
totally agree. Right, that's it again. See you later, guys. See ya. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.